Gordon Dundas, this is it. It's it been is. a few months. We have been waiting and waiting, but now Series 4 is upon us. We are launching the new series of Whiskey Unscripted out and about in the capital of Scotland, Gordon. We're in Stirling. <laughs> Do you we're know? Not. We're in Edinburgh. <laughs> and Edinburgh has got uh, lots of whiskey stories and whiskey history, it and has. it's steeped in whiskey. Am I not right? Absolutely. And so we felt we'd give you a flavour of that because it's festival time. So we're going to go to a great whiskey bar. We're going to go and steep ourselves oh. in some really interesting history. Uh, and we're going to go to one of the mo world's most famous experiences of whiskey. So let's go and do it. I can't wait. Gordon, let's go. Were they of the weight Like the wild goose flying With its only mate An enduring spirit On the whiskey trail And if you can hear, we're not in a studio. We're no. out and about. Where are we, Gordon? Well, we decided uh, that we felt it would be a good opportunity to take uh, Whiskey Unscripted on the road. So we've come to Edinburgh um, because obviously it's the middle of August. It would normally be the festival. I know there's a sort of festival, but not quite as big as it has been. Um, so, But we wanted to come through to Edinburgh and visit some interesting places. First on the list. Well, I tell you what, sir, sitting right in front of you, would you like to tell me who you are and where, uh, what your job is and where we are? We are in Edinburgh. We're in Ushka Bay whiskey bar underneath Ryan's. Um, I'm from Amsterdam myself. I got an interest in whiskies following up on perfumes. I started on perfumes which is more nose based mm -hmm. but you can't drink it. So I thought well why not try whiskey? Mm. For the last 25 years my interest in whiskey has grown and I've been collecting uh, whiskey myself. And then opportunity came up here in Ushka Bay that I could not resist and now I'm here in the building enjoying the whiskey and the surroundings in this fabulous place. Fabulous. So just to give everybody your name. Jean-Yves Dominique de Maville van de Kieft. JY. Fantastic. JY will be fine. Fantastic. So for those of you who just want a bit of geography, we're actually um, just beneath Ryan's Bar, just in the uh, just opposite what will be the new Johnny Walker Correct. experience opening mm -hmm. in a few weeks yep. time. Correct. Um, and uh, that's very exciting, I think. But I know that this is one of the best bars in Edinburgh for Thank drinking you. whiskey. Thank you. Um, I've just had a look at the back bar, everybody, and uh, I have, to be honest, just I've I've swiffed off a Glenkinchy off the back bar <laughs> because uh, I'm in Edinburgh. This is well, it's not the closest distillery to Edinburgh because Holyrood is in Edinburgh but, and Leith as well, but yeah. the most the most traditional distillery close to Edinburgh, Lowland, obviously single malt, and actually, very interestingly, Glenkinchy was the distillery that effectively survived. The cull that Rosebank didn't yeah. in in the the old Diageo business. So, um, you know, we're bringing Rosebank back. That's yeah. very exciting. But I'm going to try this Glen Kinchy 12, which I, is beautifully strong flavours and lovely. Ah, oh, lovely, lovely. I love to ha have to head out to Glen Kinchy. But where I did head out this year, Gordon, on my halls, on my holidays between season three and season four, was I had a night in Aberlour. Ah, uh -huh. I was up and doing the Speyside Trail. Um, visited some old friends there at Tamdu. Yeah. Uh, had a batch strength there, so I Great thought Abalaura Buna when I'm here to remind myself of, of uh, being in holiday. So this is a wonderful, full strength, lovely. So sherry tram. casks like Tamdu. Not mm. many whiskies like these around. You know, Tamdu and, and Abalaura are probably the two most famous sort of high strength only sherry matured whiskies. Yep. And certainly we know there's fans of both of them. Yeah. Um, I'm, imagine those rich, dark flavours, Gordon. Oh, the Oloroso casks. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of my favourites. Now, I saw the barman 
who's behind us, his name is... Callum. Hey! Callum! <laughs> Callum is giving us an official wave. Callum, <laughs> reach for the Aberlour on the very far left-hand side of that gantry. Could you explain um, how you, you know, divide up the whiskies behind us? Maybe explain what is behind us, because it's an amazing selection of drums. Sure, that's a problem. As you know, there's a lot of whiskies here. we got over 400 bottles. So, unfortunately, or for us better, we start alphabetical. So it's not on flavor, it's not on region, it's just purely alphabetically. And then we got original bottlings, we got vintage bottlings, and private bottlings. And that's basically the core of our collection. So Abelar, we got this original bottling that is right next to you right now, and Nabuna that you're drinking now, as a core range down here. And then, Gordon, have you seen a bigger collection in a pu public bar? No, I mean, like, I mean, not so, many. <coughs> no, there's not many. Of course, if you think of great bars in, in the UK or even in Scotland, you can think of a, we're from Glasgow, so yeah. the Pot Still's a lovely bar, yeah. the Bon Accord. But in terms of, you know, uh, the, the selection here is absolutely tremendous. And, it, and, it, and I've done a tasting in here a few years ago, which was fabulous. Yeah. And you've got a great clientele. And, yeah. and uh, I think you'll be hugely boosted by with what's going on over the road with the experience. Yeah. But, an amazing selection, and even the Aberlara that's now been placed beside oh. you is clearly a very old Aberlara Glenlivet. Um, and interestingly, of course, d distilleries back then, a lot of them had the name Glenlivet after them. Tamdu had Glenlivet after yep. them for a long yep. time because they were in that estate. So um, it's it's just an interesting, uh, that looks a beautiful old, uh, old Aberlara, probably out with our budget on Whiskey Unscripted. Of course it is. Uh, tell us a little bit about this. And for people listening, yeah. um, this is described as pure malt. Yeah. Which of course is now would be referred to as a blended yeah, yeah. malt, but um, yeah, that, what's it's a very unusual shaped bottle, original bottling. It's original bottling. It's seventies. There's a couple of them. I got the original Dalmore there as well, which is I think 1969, 1971. And some of them still are with the screw top that obviously later for marketing purposes got changed back to the cork. I've got an original Balvenie, as you can see on the back shelf, which is in a sort of Glenvenie shaped bottle. We got a lot of original bottlings here. Upstairs we go for core ranges in the light of Johnny Walker opening, down here we really are looking for a more exclusive whiskey experience altogether. Yeah. So therefore, our clientele should be able to come in. We have a lot of collectors that come here that collect whiskey, like myself. I prefer to keep my bottles closed, unless my wife opens them with her friends at Christmas. However, this is a perfect opportunity for people to come down and taste the whiskey that they've heavily invested in. So yeah. for example, if I got the 40 year old Balvenny, I can taste it here without having to open the bottle myself at home. So that attracts quite a wide clientele of collectors. So there's also people that just come in and have a just normal dram, so to speak. Well, that's exactly my question. Yeah. Because some people coming into this bar yeah. uh, that don't know their whiskies can be yeah. a wee bit overawed. Yeah. So, uh, you know, how do you approach, and I'll ask both of you, Gordon yeah. and yourself, how do you approach a big bar like this? How would you, what would you suggest you do? Normally I said, are you a whiskey drinker? If they say, I've had some, I've been dipping in the whiskey collection, I say, why, why did you start with a basic dram? So for example, we would go for a um, Deanston, a Deanston. I've got an 80 year old Deanston original bottling. It's eight years old. It's a refill cask. It's a quite natural spirit, not so much influence from the cask. Nice so whiskey as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that would be my choice for a basic whiskey to taste. After that, I would move on for something with more characteristics from the cast. So, for example, we would go for a Balvenny Portwood, for example. That one is very nice. It's 21-year-old, then it's been matured in 30-year-old port pipes. So that one will really teach the person who's never had that many whiskeys the influence that the cask has on the liquid itself. Mm -hmm. 
after that I will go full in something weird for example Octomore 9.3 that's an interesting one Breaking. I think so that's quite a difference from <laughs> yes. going from a basic spirit yeah. to the Balvenny then to the Octomore yeah. you know yourself that's from Irene's field Octomore uh, beat there's only 134 casks made we happen to have one bottle here there's only how much is the left Callum about two-thirds of a bottle so that would be the curveball we would throw in and that will give somebody who hasn't got many experience with whiskey a very good idea of what's the basic whiskey what's so the sort of more sweeter one and a heavy and it's, one. it's almost an extreme isn't it exactly so so you do you do whiskey flights for people as well if they want to come in we do flights we do tastings most of it at the moment is bespoke because we've just been closed yeah, for course, quite yeah. a while so what we're doing at the moment we are obviously we got a collection we're looking at what we need to add to the collection mm -hmm. as an investment as well and looking into the future then we got some very interesting projects in the pipeline for when Johnny Walker opens because they obviously do their thing and their tastings we need to have our own experience which mm. I assume down here will be slightly more exclusive yeah and everything whiskey related because not only are we a whiskey bar we also do fantastic food here we got very good chefs here so there'll be a very big whiskey element presented within the food a very good lunch, I have to say. I have to say, Gordon, the whiskey, <laughs> the whiskey bonbons with this Abalaura Rabuna would be highly yeah. recommended. So yes. let me just put well, that into uh, the mix. We got something there as well. We got some ideas in the pipeline there as well, how to add whiskey to our dishes. Fabulous. Well, that's always good because, I mean, what I what I'm a big fan of, and I think Johnny Walker will will, will talk about this, and I think we're yeah. seeing it more in, in, is that whiskey can be drunk in, in many many different ways, yeah. and I think, you know, um, with whether that's with food, whether that's in cocktails, however it may be. Yeah. And the more that we push down that road as an industry, which we are very, very much, and yeah. we've, we've done our own little bit in yeah, the yeah, last yeah, few yeah. weeks with um, Smokehead, I think that's really, really important in terms of getting more people to drink whiskey, and I think you probably agree. Yeah, definitely. I do um, I do a lot of blind tastings as well with Mark Davidson, mm. um, which is interesting. Another thing that really strikes me, and that's something that we definitely want to introduce, is the shape of the glass. Yeah. Ooh, uh, that's another thing on. that nobody else mm. does. Yeah. There's a lot to explore with whiskey, putting it in different glasses. I was called out myself by having two different glasses, thinking it was two different whiskeys, and I got totally called out. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, Gordon, and I thought I was dreaming. As a tour guide, yeah, I used yeah. to do the tour guides yeah, yeah, at Glengoyne, yeah. Yeah. and there was a gentleman said that there's a whiskey festival, I think in Finland, but it's the same whiskey, but yes. the, the glass changes. Yes, Callum knows about that one. Oh, <laughs> Callum! Come on over. Come on over, tell us about that. I think I've been to it, it's called um, Ishka. Callum knows everything yeah, I can remember, the one I went to in Finland. Just not, not the Finnish one, but I've been to the, um, the Vilnius Whiskey Festival in Lithuania. Right, nice. And again, we were talking about the different shapes of glasses. And Very important. If you can remind me the name of the new one that came out, it was crowdfunded a couple oh, of years yes, ago. Oh yes, that was the, the one I smashed no. watching <laughs> the Norland. I went to sleep watching the Netflix and it slipped out my hand oh, twice. <laughs> and the uh, wife says, how are you going on with the Norland glasses? Oh, oh well, really I just can't bother, but I can't bother drinking that one. So you tried a glass? Yeah, for sure. And it's just the way the vapours come up. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it just focuses the, 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 the flavour on the nose. Mm -hmm. And the nose is really important for tasting. Because, you know, you've got your basic flavours, salt, sweet, all that on your tongue. But it's the nose where you get all this big sweetness. And you can you can find whiskies that maybe are big, beefy whiskies, a bit like an old Mortlach or something flowery, a bit like some of the old Rosebanks. Yeah, yeah. And the glass can make a huge difference huge, because yeah. if you have a glass that's wide open, all the, all the flavours are just going straight up 
and, and not been focused enough. So the glass makes a huge difference. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. And I you know I used to work for Suntory and uh, they were very That's big into the glasses in terms of whether you have a highball, however you drink, it's really really important. So absolutely love what's going on so, here. The other thing I really love here yeah. is that you give people the opportunity to take drams away till 10 o'clock in the evening oh. <laughs> <laughs> legal 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 now um, this is a selection and they're called dream drums they were okay. purchased by our directors many many years ago and have not seen the, the light of day for many many oh. years so these are if you can see there's some yeah, we've, got a, there. we've got an inver gordon uh 44 year old yep we've got um spring banks and and closed distilleries yep. and St. Magdalene, Magdalene, one of my favourites. We've there. got oh, yeah. Strath Mills, and, and there's a Tamdu in there. So yeah, beautiful selection of drams that people can can can. I mean that that's a for, for whiskies like that. It's fantastic. That is a true. reason for coming if you love your whiskey. Exactly. It's absolutely fabulous thing you can do. And how do you get it? How do you take it away? We got a nice. Uh, we presented a nice velvet pouch, bronzed pouch. It's a great opportunity as a present. So for example, I would love my wife to buy me one of the St. Magdalene's because I cannot afford the whole <laughs> bottle. Mm -hmm. However, I can afford these are very reasonably priced. Yeah. And they're very exclusive. When they're gone, they're gone. No, they're brilliant. I mean, so for example, Callum buys one every day after his shift. He comes in, doesn't tell the wife, and buys one. And you've had how many of them now? Probably about. I had a fair few, and let's just keep it to that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great opportunity, great gift. But we got the glasses, we got the dreamlands. But I think uh, Paul has some more surprises in Petra that we're going to introduce here. We don't want to be just a whiskey bar that has a very good whiskey range. We want to explore the whole range of everything, the variety, what can be done with whiskey as a fantastic product. Well, we love that attitude yeah. on Whiskey Unscripted because we're very much about getting people to just enjoy it. Take the take the frightening aspect out of it for some people and just make it very much uh, a drink to be enjoyed and exactly. you know just don't don't get hung up on it you no. know just drink it and that's really really important for us loving by Glen Kinchy by I the way I think it's wonderful and I just like since we're in I think the tourist capital of Scotland's you say that I mean is it really mm. what about we're Glaswegians beat Sucky Hall Street <laughs> <laughs> at Pinchy Street there yeah. um, I'd just like to ask this yeah. this podcast Gordon at the last count went out to 67 different countries and it, oh. we did get to the 54th best listened podcast in New Zealand congratulations so, you know, congratulations thank you what uh, do people from out with these borders you know yeah. the international tourists what yeah. do they think of Scotland and, and whiskey what they're looking for what do they think of it uh, being Dutch myself, in Holland they think Chivas Regal is the best whiskey on the planet. So when you got tourists in, they be, they're absolutely gobsmacked by the variety yeah, and the amount right. of different whiskies mm -hmm. on the market. In here we got very very quickly until we got like high rollers from the wall of Astoria. We got tourists coming in that just want a dram. What I've noticed though down here, the blended malts are not really what we sell a lot of down here. Everybody obviously here when they see the collection, they go straight for the single malts. Women, they come in, they enjoy the whiskies. That's a good thing. I see a trend of whiskey definitely coming back with younger people as well. So there's a lot of exciting future projects mm -hmm. to come up. I'm very surprised. People from Holland, they they think that a, a Macallan is or a Chivas Regal is a fantastic whiskey, and they're very surprised about the difference in taste because in Holland you tend to get, or in Germany, it's mostly sort of the sweeter, sort of bourbon casky kind of whiskeys. Well, we have been to Holland many times, yeah, yeah. and we sell a lot of Glengoyne in our whiskeys yeah, yeah. in Holland, and it is a, it's a really good whiskey market. Yeah. Um, and there's this big whiskey festival that Gordon and I have been yeah. to. It's in The Hague every yeah, year. Yeah. It's called the Whiskey Festival, yeah. Whiskey Live. Seven 7,000 people turn yeah, up yeah. over three days, yeah, and by the end of it, you can't stand up, uh, yeah. not just through being tired. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but um, the, the knowledge and the enthusiasm is actually, I think most people would agree, it's one of the festivals that really everybody is so enthusiastic yeah. to be there and want to learn and want to try different drums. So the, the, I know for, for a real, from our perspective, yeah, the yeah. Dutch market generally is really oh, on the up. Oh, it's going up. I've great. had a group of Dutch sommeliers coming in before lockdown that specifically came to Uskebe to get an education on different flavors. Right. And different. They were like, he was a whiskey sommelier and he, was, he came down to Edinburgh specifically mm -hmm. to start for a big company that has lots of hotels to up their game. He says, mm. with every bar we got, we got a bottle of Bovenny and a bottle of Chivas show me what should I get and that's how we start the ball rolling so it's definitely a growing market in Europe hopefully we get a lot of Europeans well, coming down to our bar well let's hope yeah. that things yeah. open up even more for everybody exactly. and everybody can come over to Edinburgh yep. Ishkaba everywhere that would be great yep. well gentlemen I think we should just uh, close our conversations yeah, with thank a small you. clink of the glass Gordon and say Slanjava thank yeah, you very much thank you. Thank thank you. Thank you. Thank you. pleasure absolute pleasure thank you I hope to welcome you back again soon we'll yeah. be back thank you very much no finer place to have a dram than this. But <laughs> let's go. Enjoy the dram. Beats the beats the the, the sauna. Hmm. If this doesn't What's all record, that? I'll kill you. I'm recording. All right. Good. See, you have absolutely no faith in me, Gordon. No. Just because we're out and about, we and we've walked. Anyway. Have we walked? Let's let's see. We've walked. We've, we've walked. We've yeah. walked all the way there from Ushka Bay and we, well I wanted, we're in, in Edinburgh, we're in Edinburgh, we're in Edinburgh yeah. <laughs> that whiskey was wonderful, we're in Edinburgh and I wanted to indulge my sort of passion for the historical side of the story you of love whiskey. love history don't you? Yeah. Where are so we? We're, 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 well I was going to ask you that, we're in the Pear Tree, now I know the Pear Tree is a bar uh, that I've been in, my niece lives in this place as well but uh, there's a lot more to this place isn't there? Oh I could go into it and get very excited but I'd rather speak to a veritable expert in this who might be able to take us inside and show us uh, something but let's go and speak to Mr Paul Hasty. Paul what's your relationship with the pear tree who are you where'd you come from and this this your first time on the game show <laughs> it's the first time on the game show yeah uh, so my name is Paul Hasty. I work for a company called Caledonian Heritable I'm their procurement manager and I also get involved with operations uh, for the company as well. So my relationship with here, I've had a relationship with the pear tree going back to my own student days and then I was its area manager for a, about a decade um, and I've probably I've probably known it 20, 20 odd years now. The This area, and I don't know if many people know about it, but it's the Usher family yeah. and I know you know quite a lot about them. Could you explain for those listening that maybe don't know too much about the Usher family and Andrew in particular, who were they? So Andrew Usher Sr. was uh, originally from the Borders. He was uh, a spirit merchant who moved to Edinburgh. He had a, a shop just round the corner on the main drag from Pear Tree House here for a number of years. He bought this house. Um, he and his, uh, his wife, who I can only refer to as Lady Usher, uh, lived here, two of them. They had four sons and two of them went off to become uh, brewers. They opened up the Usher's Brewery at the Pleasance, which is not far from here, and two of them went off to have a career in the whiskey industry. So Andrew Usher, senior, had, uh, had always toyed with the idea of trying to, to make a, a sort of a consistent whiskey, because back then it was, it was quite an inconsistent affair. Um, he never quite made it. Uh, the story goes that his son, Andrew Usher II, did manage to make it. Now, he was obviously, he was born, would have grown up, spent formative years in this house, um, and he um, probably had the benefit of his mother as well, who apparently was a, a great cordial maker, and uh, our records show that she gave the recipe for Crabby's Green Ginger to John Crabby, which would have been a business associate of her husband. 
long story short, he grew up in, in that environment, in this house. His dad was a spirit merchant, his mum was a cordial maker of, of great renown, so on and so forth. He managed to get to a point where he blended um, whiskey to a degree that he, he managed to get a really, really good, solid, consistent product um, that he was happy to put his name to. So he came to market with this at the point in time where brandy production fell off a cliff. Um, so there was a huge demand for brown spirit and he was right place, right time um, with his uh, with his OVG, Old Vatty Glen Livet. So clue in the name there, Old Vatty Glen Livet. The, uh, he got most of his malt from Glen Livet distillery. He also is renowned for conceiving and delivering the North British distillery. And that distillery essentially made his, uh, his grain. So during the time of him being in charge of the North British Distillery, again, our records show that he employed some really, really influential characters in the whisky industry. Um, John Dewar was one, Arthur uh, J. Bell was another, and notably Johnny Walker all worked for him at the North British Distillery. So old Matty Glenn Levitt went on to the four corners of the world, potentially Scotland's first global product and um, they made an awful lot of money um, and I suppose that's the kind of the beginning of the story for, for the Usher family and Pear Tree House. And known as the father of blending and Gordon just to bring yourself in there uh, what I didn't know till relatively recently that Andrew Usher did try to sell single malt into London took out adverts in the local all the papers didn't really take off and as Paul was just saying always back to the drum board and started to create blends hmm. and that's really what took over the world blended whiskey and still is the most selling whiskey in the world i mean i think the key aspect is uh you know why did people why would people blend whiskies together you're not got all your eggs in one basket you've got a variety of flavors it's a consistency thing it's about delivering a product that will taste the same throughout the years which you're seeing in single malt to a certain extent now but i mean single malt is a is a very new category compared to to blends and also you know, far less when you drive around Speyside, you drive around Scotland, you see distilleries you've never heard of because the, that single malt being produced is going into blends. So it's still a big, big amount of, yeah. of what, single malt going into blends. What's the percentage? Is it still about 90, 92%? So, I think it's about, um, I think about at the moment, it's uh, blends are about 87% of global whiskey sales in by volume. Uh, single malt, 13 But by value, single malt is a lot more. So um, that's the interesting part. Um, but generally, you know, um, blends still hugely significant in most markets. Now, I'd like to ask you, Paul, A, what happened to the ushers? Why does people maybe not know about them as much as folk like myself that love the history? Are they well known in their homeland? Mm, probably not, no. And the reason for that, I'm not entirely sure. I think certainly in the UK market, the, the Usher brand was never ever kind of taken on by any of the big boys. And that's maybe one of the reasons why the sort of the, the brand and the name fell by the wayside, because there's there's no doubt about it. You know, he was he was the he was the forefather of the modern day Scotch whisky industry. And it tends to be that, you know, the only people that really kind of know that are very well versed in the trade. And also it seems to be, you know, it seems to be guys that are a little bit older in the trade that know about it. A lot of new people that are coming into the trade, the sort of salespeople and so on, you talk to them about Andrew Usher and they've never, they've never heard the name, which is hugely disappointing. But I think it's probably because none of the big companies have, you know, had the brand in, in the UK market. This must have been 
someplace back in the day. We, we look out here, we're in West Nicholson Street. For those that know Edinburgh, we're very close to the University of Edinburgh, but this must have been quite an operation. This is where the whisky was matured, I believe, as well. Yeah, so the courtyard that we're in just now would have probably been full of barrels at one point. Um, originally, the, the mansion house was the family home, and then Andrew Usher II, with all of his, uh, his, his newfound gains from being successful with global whisky wow. sale and manufacture, uh, became a very, very wealthy individual. He extended the building, and within the extension is uh, a ballroom, which is in the count, what we call the counting house now. Uh, and that ballroom has a cupola uh, within it, um, which he, he had built so as he could host lavish parties. So you can imagine those parties would be quite something. He'd be, you know, the first whiskey baron of the world, and that was the place where he, he hosted parties. So it would have, been, would have been a really, really interesting time back then. Mm. Um, and the connection with the Usher Hall? Yes, yeah, so he was a music lover and he bequeathed, I think it was a, a region in some, somewhere north of just £500,000 he gave to Edinburgh City Council to build a, a music hall, um, which is now known as the Usher Hall. And within the design, he was, uh, he was very, very keen to recreate the cupola that exists in the Counting House to be the kind of centrepiece for the Usher Hall. That's amazing, isn't it? Amazing, that is amazing. And we're going to maybe try and get inside, have a little peek. And it is a fringe venue at the moment. The Edinburgh Festival is raging around us as we speak. It's a great atmosphere in Edinburgh, so we might have to nip in between shows. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. We're, uh, okay. we're, we're, we're managing post-COVID <laughs> first festival. We're managing to, to operate as a venue, and, and so far, so good. Fabulous. Right. Gordon, see if, we, if we're in there and the show starts, you're going to have to take the mic. That's fine. That's right. fine. Can, can you can sing? Yeah, no. Okay, right. It's dancing then. You're going to have to dance. Climb some stairs there, and you're, we're inside. It's called the Counting House. The Counting House, right, yes. Okay. So I've just come up some stairs, and that would have been the original Usher's mansion. That's house, right, yes. Yes, absolutely. The bit we're standing in just now is an extension that came afterwards. As you can see, there's a cupola, and in the four corners, you can maybe make out the, uh, the initials AU. So you can, yes. You see that, Gordon? I see that. Could you give a description? We'll put some well, video on YouTube if you're listening to this yeah, on iTunes. Um, I, I, I don't really know how to describe it. It's absolutely stunning. And um, what's the age of this building then? So originally it was 1749, I think, but this extra part would have been a good bit after that. You know, it's an absolutely gorgeous uh, ceiling. And, and we'll, we'll put a, it's hard to describe. We'll put a video on there. On YouTube, but, but this would be Victorian grandeur. You're talking, yeah, yeah, you know, it would have 1850s, been 1850s, 60s. The yeah, around, really sloshing in, yeah, round about then. And uh, yeah, so Counting House, I uh, were talking earlier. The reason reason it's called that is that when uh, I think they made an awful lot of money and they built quite a few mansions here, there, and everywhere, they moved out of here. So this went from being a domestic dwelling to being a working office. Um, and this area here, this level, was essentially where they had their accountancy their accountancy department, and hence the name The Counting House. There must have been some fair amount of shillings, Gordon County. I'm sure there was a few amount of shillings going through, because, I mean, you know, they would have been one of those, you know, families that we were talking about, that, that at that point in the sort of mid-1800s, something like that, there was a lot of money schlossing around in the The jurors, teachers. Oh, all of them, yeah. The and, Langs, and this would and be another one of that. Yeah, ushers definitely. were at the forefront of that as well. And uh, the whiskey, as you said, going all over the world. It was quite a just, a, a, and it hasn't really stopped. Could we say that in the world of whiskey? It's changed. That's what really put Scotch whiskey on the map was people like the ushers and the jewers and the walkers. 
and uh, the yeah. big DCLs of the world who became Huge. Diageo. It's a very different industry now, but because it's, there's less families, but there's still, you know, you've still got the Grant family, which have been in the industry for a long time. Um, but of course, all those names now have been swallowed up by a lot of bigger companies. But still, the influence of Scotch is huge. Correct. And it started from these people. That's right. There's yeah. no other country really eclipsed Scotland since, and that's really, really started with the story of the. That's right. In, the in, in this house, am I right in saying you got a one of one of the whiskey experts to come in and have a look at these initials? Yes. So we did a project which was uh, to recreate some of the blends, and uh, I contacted Richard Patterson from uh, White Mackay. Um, just to, to come along to have a look, ultimately to, to, to let him know what we were doing and I kind of suppose look for his blessing, you know, he's a huge figure in the industry and it was he who first told me about the, uh, the, the, the initials being in the four corners of the cupola because unless you know that says AU, you could be forgiven for not being able to, 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 to notice that, yeah. So, so speaking to Richard about it, he was a huge fan of Andrew Usher and in his book, goodness knows, he talks about... Um, uh, fairly regularly, and as far as Richard's, yeah, as far as he's concerned, he was he was a real kind of idol of his. The originator of the yeah. blended whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. This is utterly fabulous. And and can I just say, for people who've been watching and listening and being aware of whiskey unscripted, this is the finest roof we've ever had on whiskey. Unscripted. <laughs> I mean, your sauna one is not bad, but this eclipses it by. No, this is absolutely amazing. Listen, get these folk in from outside. This is fringe quality material. Go on that stage. And give us some more of those lines. Listen, Paul Hasty, thank you very much for your time and showing us a little bit about what the ushers and how important they are to Scotland. And my final question, do you think the ushers will be one of these names that will be discovered? I think it has to. I think that if you think about the history, I mean, it's it's there, it's done, it can't be changed. And it's one of the most fascinating stories I think there is in whiskey. Gordon, really? You've had, you've walked, we've walked all over the city. We have walked. You promised everywhere. me whiskey. You prom. What, what's what are we doing? Well, we're on the wrong mile now. We've walked everywhere. Scotch whiskey experience. What? Yeah. This is a really interesting place. So we're going to go and find out about it. Scotch whiskey and experience. All in so Gordon, we're inside. No one stopped us. We came in. Uh, now, how did we get to the top floor? <laughs> the Scottish whisky experience. Now, we just need to get into this room, yes. and I believe we're going to meet somebody very special. Okay. Oh, uh, hi, Julie. <laughs> hi. And your name is? I'm Julie Trevisan Hunter. Look after the marketing here. Julie. Thank you for letting us into the Scottish Whiskey Experience. Hey, I'm not clear as to how you got here, but... Uh... Well, I did see our, our faces up in Most Wanted posters, <laughs> so I'm, I've taken them down, but uh, where are we? Could you explain? So we're up in the Castle Hill Room, which is on the top floor of the building. Uh, our building used to be an old Victorian school, so we've kept this beautiful school room, a bleak assembly room, which is up on the top floor. Um, we use it for um, private events normally. Uh, at the moment, because uh, there's not a lot of private events going on, we're using it for our brilliant tasting tales, so that's that's what you've just wandered in on. Oh, so it's starting soon. Now we're recording this, it's now half past three. When does it start? So 4, 4.30 in the afternoon we run our tasting tales. It's a kind of new product that we developed just before everything stopped and shut down and we couldn't do it. But the 
There's the ethos behind it is it's all about the tales around Scotch whisky. Um, so in this one, we focus a little bit less on flavour and palate and character and volumes of pot stills and all that kind of fascinating stuff for some of us. Fascinating. Um, <laughs> and talk a little bit more about the, the cultural side of things and indeed the culinary side of things, because each of the four whiskies that we choose are paired with a little taster from Amber Restaurant of a different food type from Scotland that we think really matches beautifully with the whisky. Gordon. That is utterly fabulous. Now, can I just say for anybody who's not been to the Scotch whisky experience, this is Edinburgh's foremost experience of whisky um, on the Royal Mile, uh, literally just down from the castle, perfect location. Um, and even now, with still not many foreign visitors here, it's very busy outside, which is great. Great shop, great place to visit, great experience. So if you've not been, come. And can you, Julie, I want to ask you, how did the Scotch whisky experience come about? Because it's quite uniquely funded, isn't it? Yeah, so we're, we're really unusual. And in fact, we sometimes get people from all over the world coming, saying, we're a consortium of Bordeaux wine, or you know, here we are from Cuba, or we do mezcal, or whatever we do. How did you get this thing going? Because we're, we're trying to do similar things, and it seems quite unique. So, so you're right, we are really unique. So we opened in 1988, and back in the 80s, there wasn't an awful lot going on in terms of whisky tourism. And there was also a statistic that came out from um, what is now Visit Scotland, uh, showing that actually a very small percentage of visitors were getting further into more rural locations beyond Edinburgh. So lots of visitors coming to Edinburgh and really only doing the city break here. And there wasn't a, a much of an opportunity for them to engage with Scotch whisky. So one, beyond Edinburgh, there weren't an awful lot of distillery visitor centres back then. Um, two, if they did exist, they may be closed at the weekends because they were only open during production, which wasn't very tourist friendly. Uh, and three, within Edinburgh itself, uh, aside from just hopping into a bar that maybe had a really good local driven whisky proposition, there wasn't an awful lot for international visitors to engage with Scotch whisky. So as a result, um, our um, managing director, chairman, and, and now uh, sort of chairman emeritus, now Alistair McIntosh, he worked in blending and bottling. So he worked with lots of different distillers companies. And he had a bit of a brainchild to say, let's get something going in Edinburgh. Um, same time, interestingly, as Keepers of the Quake was sent up, so there was this lovely tide through Scotch whisky then of everybody coming together, working together mm -hmm. and putting something interesting together. And that's really how we were formed. Quite, that, quite yeah. amazing. Quite, I love the story there, girl. I'm just I'm quite fascinated about that moment in time. It just seemed to start to ignite the Scotch whisky story, the single malt story, well, I mean, the classic I think, I th six, all that stuff started to happen. And I think you've probably seen it also in the last... 10, 15 years, people used to come to Scotland to do golf, fishing, and whiskey was like an add-on, almost. In the last 10, 15 years, the driving force with is, is whiskey more so than anything, almost, and that is really interesting. You go to the Speyside Festival, the, the Facial Festival, thousands of people from around the world there for the whiskey, and they may play golf and they may go fishing, but whiskey's the front driver now, which is really interesting. And I quite like this, you just mentioned about engagement, and those tasting tales... You know, that how important, Gordon, do you think it is to engage people on more of a, a story level as well? Oh, and more absolutely. Of a you, can talk about the, you can talk about technical stuff and you can talk... It's all very interesting. But a whiskey is, is, is the fabric of where it's from. It's the fabric of everything. It's not just about how it's made. It's about what it does to you. It makes you... How you feel everything. And how the people that work there influence it and all as well. So there's a lot of 
things and I think that's what's exactly behind what you're doing here. And I think what we know is that people remember the, the kind of fascinating little facts, not the numbers, you know. So people say, oh, the angel share, and you know nothing about the angel share. Or who knew that all the whiskey's colour came from the cask? And to us, you're like, surely everybody. But, you know, these yeah. were the things years ago that we started picking up on people. And what I think we love to do now is we represent almost all of the whiskies in Scotland. And uh, whenever we're presenting them, we're almost like, close your eyes and let this whisky transport you to that corner of Scotland. So, you know, here's Speyside, it's the rolling hills and it's the glens and it's the Spey and it's the tributaries and it's that beautiful sort of ecosystem that they have up there where the weather's a little bit different um, and sip this gentle soft whisky and remember that. Or let's ho head over to Isla and to the west coast and, and smell that sea and hear the crashing waves and the sort of burning, glowing of the sun in the West Coast sunset and then take that sip and just transport yourself there. And of course, what then happens is they then go back home and they can still get those whiskies and hopefully that moment and that little bit of Scotland remains with them every time they go back and they, and they take a sip of that whisky. Um, and I think that's so important to people because if they've only come here and they've only come to Edinburgh, our objective is by the time they walk out our doors, they are desperate to travel further afield, to explore the countryside, to go up north, to take the time that it takes to really enjoy these winding country roads and explore the amazing whisky producing regions. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And, and just, I'm fascinated this rumour in this now, because I've been here a few times myself. Um, before we go and you take us somewhere else, can you just explain what's going to go in these glasses? And can you explain what's on the uh, counter for so, those aren't listening? Absolutely. I mean, those that cannot see this. It's a podcast, Gordon. They can't see it. So could you paint a picture Let's of what we're looking at? Let's bring it to life with words then. So um, we're in the Castle Hill room, which is a beautiful stained glass window um, at the end of it, which we put in... Uh, at the Millennium um, with a stained glass artist that shows the past, the present and the future of Scotch whisky. And guests are seated with a stave, so Ooh. a section of cask that's been transformed by our, uh, our craftsmen we work with into a little tasting tray for four drams. And what we've selected just now are four whiskies that tell the tales and the stories of Scotland's coasts and waters. And this year, um, last year, and postponed to this year, uh, with Visit Scotland, we've been working through this theme in Scotland's tourism of its coasts and waters and celebrating that. Um, so we've got some coastal distilleries, we've got some island distilleries, uh, we've also got a whisky that uh, resonates to the prohibition period Love and it. how the waters and travelling back and forward. I can see Cutty there. That's the <laughs> brilliant. So we've, um, in this selection, we've got Bunahaven um, 12, we've got a Tiananich, we've got the Cutty Sark prohibition, and we have a Port Charlotte. So we've chosen those oh, ones for today um, to tell some of those stories. Can I just ask the expert waters. here, Gordon, what do, you, what's, what do you think about that? What expert? Um, uh, great drams. Bunahaven, they're, they're all great drams. They're all great drams. I'm a big fan of uh, Isla whisky, so Bunahaven and particularly, uh, um, you know, Port Charlotte will be will, will be high on my yeah. agenda. But uh, yeah, they're all great drams. They're all great drams. And so these change all the time. So we, we change the themes, we change the stories, and we'll have sort of festive drams around about Christmas time with the tales of distilleries that opened on Christmas Day or that have mm -hmm. had, we've got lovely um, ones where we have uh, royal themes as well, mm -hmm. historical royal themes of uh, 
members of the royal family passing by distilleries um, or giving their royal seal of approval to them. There's lots of amazing stories around about that with, with yours as well. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. So, yeah, so you, you don't always know what you're going to get, oh, but you're going to get some lovely stories and some phenomenal drinks. This, this is yeah. okay, Gordon. This is well, this okay, is, isn't it? Absolutely. What's a, what this is about is about widening out the experience for people. I think it's a fantastic, fantastic things that you do here across the whole of the, 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 you know, the whiskey experience when you come here. We've got a little gift for you because we're all about widening out whiskey experience and I want your thoughts on this. You can, you can, <laughs> and we're going to give you a little gift. This is Smokehead single malt mm -hmm. in a can. The first ever single malt put in a can ever in the whole whiskey industry. This is ginger and lime. Take it home. Enjoy it. It's about widening out the whiskey experience. So. Amazing. Well, I think you, you know that we uh, are are very, very focused on blowing away the myths and stereotypes really? around Scotch, exactly. one of which is how should a drink Scotch exactly. whisky and making it as inclusive. So what I always like to say was, you know, Scotch is seen as being exclusive and people frame that positively of it being sought after and something you choose for the right moment and, and exclusive in a good way. But actually, I feel that it's the, it's the opposite. It's the wrong word for Scotch whisky because it needs to be inclusive. And it needs to be, pick that phenomenal dram for those special occasions that you're really going to splash out on, but have really accessible whiskies from the point of view of price and palate exactly. for the time that that's right as well. And I think in my career, this is my 25th anniversary of being in the Scotch whisky industry and here at Scotch Whisky Experience. And that's been the biggest thing for me over those mm. years is just sweep aside any of that kind of, uh, of of snobbery and kind of pigeonholing how Scotch whisky should be drunk and appreciated. And that so is what Smokehead does and that's amazing. the brand. So Thank enjoy you. that at home. But uh, that, I, I wanted to give that to you because I know you and what you do here buy into all that, which is great. So I think that's that wonderful. Let's, uh, let's move on. We're giving out gifts in this show. This is new. Where's the budget? Where, have you got a budget, Gordon? I don't have a budget. It's amazing. It's fabulous. Judy could get out of earshots, then I'll tell you what really happened. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. <laughs> uh, Julie, where, where are we taking, where are we taking us to now? We've come so, through a couple of doors, uh, turn left, turn right, and where are we? We are at the end of the tour, so ah. we're in what we call our McIntyre Gallery. So it's this beautiful gallery area that looks out over the south of Scotland, um, south of Edinburgh even. Scotland. It's a big view, isn't it? It's a big view. It's all one. <laughs> Uh, and this is where guests finish up and if they're doing their gold tour they, they get their, their tasting tree. And I brought you here to introduce you to my colleague Jethro who is far more expert in all the uh, tour shenanigans that happen here than I. Well I did ask you and uh, myself and Gordon, you know, sometimes for a bit extra cash or in case we do something wrong may end up having to get a gig here. Now Jethro, if we did have to get a job here, what do we have to do? What does it entail? What would you take us through your steps? Hey, Gordon. So, if you got a job here, the primary thing that you guys are going to be do, uh, doing is doing tours. You're going to be taking members of the public, and you're going to be teaching them about whiskey. Not drinking it right then. You're <laughs> 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 listening. So it's all about tours now. Um, they turn up. What is the tour? What is the tour? So. We take people who have drunk whiskey before, never drunk whiskey before in their lives, and I like to think that we make them experts in an hour. We teach them everything that they want to know about Scotch whiskey. That means that I'm going to talk to you a lot about Scotch whiskey. I'm going to go on and on about Scotch whiskey for a lot, large part of the tour. 
then there's a couple of surprises. You get to Ooh. see things like, oh, I know, round of, uh, oh, round of anticipation. Uh, yeah, yeah. You are going to get to see things like the largest uh, unopened collection of whiskey in the world oh, on yes, the tour here. Of course. Yes, now just give us a little bit of background on that. Sure. So the collection here contains around 3,400 uh, 3, bottles of whiskey, and uh, those bottles were collected by a man named Clive Verdes. Now, he was a Brazilian gentleman from Sao Paulo, and he collected whiskey for 35 years of his life. Now, that collection has made its way back home to us. Uh, don't tell me you've got to remember every bottle of whiskey in that <laughs> collection, because that is terrible. If they're making you do that, I'm, I'm, I, I just don't I think I can stand it. I still walk into that collection every day, three times a day, and there are bottles in that collection that I've never seen before, like they appeared overnight. Wow, that, that's, that's amazing. Amazing collection. What, we're, we've already been down to Pear Tree House and seen the where the ushers, you know, Andrew Absolutely, Usher was born, yeah. and I can see a few bottles here. And I know a few years ago there was an usher's t uh, display and collection on, on the public display, so I'm really going to have a look at that afterwards. But, yeah, so you, you've identified if they're experts in whiskey, uh, talk to them about it, and then what happens next? What else do we need to do? Do not forget that you have to drink some whiskey as well, gentlemen. At the end of the tour, we're going to teach you how to drink whiskey. Now you can drink it whiskey any way you like, of course. Good but answer, good answer. We take people by the hand and we make sure that they're confident in doing that, that they feel okay to drink whiskey in any way that they like. People can go home from the tour and they can start shooting it. People can go home from, uh, from the tour and start mixing it, putting iron brew in it, Mountain Dew maybe. Maybe I wouldn't do that, <laughs> right? But they can do it any way they like as long as they are confident in drinking it and that's what I want to see when people leave this place. You don't need to be anything before you come along. We hire all sorts of people. We hire people from hospitality. We hire people who are just going through school. There are people here for whom this is their first job ever. All you need to do is be happy talking to people, fielding questions, fielding difficult questions, and fielding stupid questions as well. That's very important to be able to do. I'm thinking we might be able to do this, Gordon. Well, we, normally the ones who are asking the stupid questions. But um, <laughs> one thing I want to ask Jethro, I think the other thing you probably do need to have is you need to have a bit of a passion for whiskey. Would that That's be fair? Right. You will find in the Scotch Whiskey Experience, some of us are some of the most passionate people about whiskey. And if you guys want to come to the pub with me later on, I will bore the hell out of you talking about washbacks. Or, oh, no, I can, no, no, I can overbore you in that. Oh, oh, here we go. Where did your passion for whiskey start? Where did that happen? I uh, worked in cocktail bars in Aberdeen before I oh, worked right. here. And uh, I was responsible for, um, for the selection behind the bar. And I thought it was a real shame in cocktail bars up in Aberdeen that they did not have an amazing whiskey selection when I worked there back in the day. Uh, there was not a real appreciation, I thought, in those bars for whiskey, the national spirit. Right? And so I got very, very into it when I was up there, and luckily the scene got tremendous while I was up there when I was working in Aberdeen. And now you can go up to Aberdeen and you will go into any bar and there is a tremendous selection of whiskey. And that is very true. That is very true. Well done, Jeffrey. Well, thank you for that. Yep. That was very interesting. And so we've got some top tips on... The top tips on how to become a tour guide at Scottish Whiskey Experience. I'd like to finish, uh, Jethro. Could you just give us the first few lines? Me and Gordon roll up. We're, say, from Norway. We're six foot five, strapping uh, Norwegian gentlemen and we're here for the tour. Just give us a first few lines, introduce yourself, how you start it, and we'll just fade out from there. Sure, here's my current uh, start to the tour, gentlemen. I'd like to welcome you all to the Scotch Whiskey Experience. Now, gentlemen, what you're going to do is you're going to wear the mask on the tour. You have to wear your face mask on the tour at the second. Please, please wear them on the tour until you get to the bar. Do not try and drink the whiskey through the mask. It will not work. I've seen some disasters in my time. Oh. Now, we're going to learn a lot about whiskey on the tour. 
today, but do not worry if you've never tried whiskey before. Uh, there is no prerequisite for coming on the, uh, on the tour today. You might have drunk it before. You might never have touched the stuff in your life. But do not worry, by the end of the tour, you will be speaking about whiskey like a professional. Jethro! Gordon, we've had a, a lovely, leisurely exit to Edinburgh. What's been the highlights tonight? Oh, we've had a wonderful day. It's been great fun and uh, yeah, it's nice to see the gin going so well in Whiskey Unscripted. That looks, a lot, we don't talk gin very much, but we're in the Weirdly Gardens and there's a lot of action happening up there. There is, there is. I mean, you know, it's been a very difficult 18 months, but this looks, this Quite looks busy. It's normal, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Good to see. So we're now getting the, as, we get the train home, or as some people call it, the vomit comet. <laughs> After the rugby. <laughs> That's what we're heading towards, Gordon. After a very long day, whether it's the Ushkaba, whether it's been the Pear Tree House, or whether it's been um, um, Scottish Whiskey Experience. And then we hit the dome as well with some friends. We've been out of the sauna and out of my front room. And that's, that's great. all we can ask for. Absolutely. So, folks, thank you very much for listening. This has been the end of the launch episodes. And can I just say at this point, I don't think any of this will make the cut. Right, OK, we're off. And that's... Worthy of the weight Like a wild goose flying With its only mate An all-enduring spirit On the whiskey trail